welcome to TestSphere Roulette, the podcast where my panel guests could be asked to discuss any testing topic decided by randomly selected TestSphere cards. I'm your host, Simon Pryor. Let's talk testing. And welcome to episode one of TestSphere Roulette. I'm your host, Simon Pryor. And today I have a panel of three people with me. Um, I'd like them to introduce themselves and tell you something interesting about them. So, Rachel, I'll start with you. Uh, hi, so uh, I'm Rachel. Uh, I'm currently working as head of QA at a company called AccessPay, uh, which is a fintech that processes payments from some quite big clients, such as the AA. Um, I don't really think I've got anything ex- interesting about myself. Um, I've got a very needy greyhound just over my shoulder. Excellent. He's just come, they've come to shot as well. Um, Shay, over to you. Hey, I'm Shay Crompton. Uh, I'm currently a senior quality engineer at a um, insurance startup. And uh, my interesting fact about me is that I've lived in nine countries. Wow. Okay. And there's a, uh, there's a, a question for our listeners afterwards to try and work out which nine countries they are. Um, good. Uh, Chris. Hi, I'm Chris Armstrong. I am currently a QA strategist at Provar Testing. And an interesting fact about me, um, maybe it would be something along the lines that I've broken seven bones. Only seven? Some of them are quite major, but, um, you know. He doesn't get out much. (laughs) I'm just wondering if that's in the trampoline in the garden. Cool. Okay. Well, thank you, everyone, for your for your uh, intros. Um, so, the way this is going to work is we have a big roulette wheel. I'm going to spin the wheel, and that will stop on a on a roulette on a card, a test sphere card from the deck. I will then read read the card, and then we'll have a few minutes to talk about the card, talk about the experiences, and then we'll move on to the next card. That's as simple as it simple as it is. So, with that. Let's do the first roulette wheel spin. Okay. And it has stopped on a blue card, which is quality aspects, and it's user friendliness. So will users find the product convenient and easy to work with, but more important, will they enjoy it? What are your experiences with user-friendliness? One of the things I've, I feel about user-friendliness is that it's quite, it should be high, high up in the, um, in the list of things to consider when designing a feature. Users are the key to everything about uh, the piece of software that you make. If you're going to make it and nobody uses it well, then um, there's no real purpose to it. So considering the users is is very important, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. Chris? I'm nodding. <laughs> that doesn't sound it's... well on a podcast. <laughs> nodding it's, on a podcast. It, well it, done, it, Chris. It, it, it is, it's really a, a po- podcast gold always. Um, the, the thing I think that... Yeah, user friendliness is important. The, the interesting thing is, is maybe enjoying using is is, a, is an interesting uh, phrase in itself because some software, some of the best software, 
that's good for a user is software that you don't even really notice that you're using it because it's just seamless. Um, and, and maybe when you reflect on that, you, you realize, I love that because I didn't have to think about it. It was so intuitive. It was, it was fitting with, with where my hand goes or where, where my cursor goes. It was just, I, I wasn't frustrated like I would have been in previous situations. I was talking to someone the other day about how frustrating it is now in hindsight that I used to have to put a pin number in my phone. And now, it, we, either with Face ID or with, with, with your Touch ID, it's seamless. The, that friction, that delay, that thing that was just a little bit annoying has gone. I don't necessarily enjoy doing these things, but it's so friendly because it's so convenient and it, it almost becomes second sense. Yeah, yeah, I like that. That's, uh, that's a really interesting uh, take on it. Um, I was just going to say, um, coming back to Shay's point, I think I... I'd agree. I think it should definitely be really high up um, in the priority. I think you'll find one thing I found working with banks and in the financial industry is that one of the excuses that are always made is that all oh, people in finance don't care about how it looks or you know how it behaves. And I think a lot of um, a lot of people forget that you know it's it's not just how it looks. It's you know how how easy is it to use and you know it's. It, Nothing is more frustrating than coming across products that just doesn't work properly, and clients will eventually leave. Yeah, you're right, and I think it's one of those things that um, good user good good user friendliness um, is something you almost don't notice, but actually, it's when it's not there that's when it, it causes the problems, and that's when you get the frustrations. It's become an expectation that everything's just going to work in the way that you need it to work, and when it doesn't, that's when you get the the, the friction. So how would you go about testing for user-friendliness? I think that's quite an interesting one. So the, the obvious answer is, uh, is get some uh, potential users in front of it, um, your application or your uh, at and the earliest stage possible, start gaining information from that way. So doing user testing. Um, from, a, from a testing point of view, if that isn't uh, available, ideally speak with the, the business and find out what kind of people they feel that they're, they're targeting their application to. Um, and then you can try and, as a tester, you can try and emulate that person during your testing sessions. So, you know, it's it, it sounds a bit weird, but if, if uh, the application is, um, is to uh, a 20-something-year-old, um, doesn't own a house, um, but is looking for a house, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an estate agent's um, application, well, you know, me as uh, slightly over 20 years old then can uh, try and consider what I what what was important to me at that po point in my life and uh, and uh, then take on that persona and try and test from that from with that mindset there is a lot to do with that and I guess the other the other things might be if we're creating something to be friendly to users ultimately the users probably would have a need that we're trying to solve and so sort of understanding what the problems are or the things that they're trying to do and that, that your application is trying to solve should help you to inform how friendly your application is to the user. But you're right, you know, if, if you can get FaceTime with your target audience, if you can understand their needs, their wants, their the things that already annoy them, that's great. But also pay attention to 
what else is there in a similar space? How are those things being solved? How are they being received? What sort of are the priorities and goals of those things? And what, what annoys users about those applications? Like doing market research is super important as well as user, just, you know, new users and targets targeting those areas. Because if you don't know your market and you don't understand what problems you're trying to solve, your product may well fail anyhow, because what's, what's the point? Closing that kind of feedback loop um, would be ideal so that you're getting that feedback from your clients and then you know where, where they're having issues so that you can you can address them um, and make, make the user experience better for everyone. Um, and we should also focus not just on external clients that are going to be using systems, but also internal ones such as like, you know, our support staff and companies, you know, it's going to be really frustrating for them if the system isn't, isn't usable just because it's not client facing. Yeah, it's really interesting that the, um, the customer service people often uh, are overlooked when uh, and they sort of need to know the, the application because they're going to be receiving the, the calls from people going, oh, you know, it doesn't work, this feature doesn't work. And if they don't know how to use it, then um, uh, the, the application, then uh, they're not able to serve your uh, the clients properly. Um, also, um, while Rachel was uh, talking there, it just prompted me to think of sort of, you know, it's user testing doesn't have to be before launch it can also be after launch so gain feedback from your users um, if if you've got a mobile app monitor the uh, the feedback you're getting on so on the app store because some people actually give decent feedback um, others use it as a as a sounding post to to have a whinge but there is some some feedback on there that's uh, that's useful and then you can feed that back you can bring that back into the development process yeah, absolutely agree with that. It's it's that that feedback loop. The 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 ratings and reviews you get afterwards now are are invaluable to making sure that things things move forward in the right direction and you address some of the major concerns, but also you take on board the positives as well and and look at that. Cool. All right. Excellent. Let's move on to the next card. So I'll spin the wheel again. And this time it stopped on a purple card, which is feelings. And the feeling I've got here is rejected. After writing a beautiful bug report, it's returned to you with the following message. Can't reproduce. So obviously that's one example of being rejected. But can you talk about any experiences you've had as a tester where you felt that rejection? So I think what there was there was one time where I identified a, a UI bug. Um, and to me, it just made the user experience. I know we're touching slightly on the last card, but it made the user experience a bit awful. Um, I, I raised a bug and I said, you know, we should we should look to do it this way. It would make it a little bit easier. And it would also help with some validation on the UI to prevent any issues on the back end as well. Um, and it was pretty much just rejected because um, clients didn't care about the UI. Um, so, yeah, that was quite quite frustrating um i tried tried to explain why it would benefit you know benefit us in the long term um but unfortunately i think in some organizations you're going to come up against a product department that are just purely client focused and you know then they don't really want to consider much else so yeah i felt pretty rejected by that um i thought it was a good spot but apparently not it's a shame that because 
um, then you, as, as a tester, you're exposed to the application a lot more than the, 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 any of the other teams, even the developers. Um, and so it's easy to feel rejected at that point be, um, because you, you are the one who probably knows the app be almost better than anybody else on the planet. And so you, for you to say, hey, look, I think this, uh, this needs to be changed. Um, and for, the, for them to not listen to you, that, that does sting a lot more because you're that, that subject matter ex expert on the application. It's not just bugs, though, is it? it? It can be a whole bunch of other things. You could be talking about design decisions or, or accessibility things and, and um, the frustrations and the rejections of ideas sometimes along the lines of edge case or um, that's not a real problem. We've never really, we've never encountered that. It's, you know, don't worry about it. And, you know, when, when we when we talk about taking pride in the, the products that we're working on, like we're not just raising them because we're being facetious people or pedantic people. Um, but, we, you know, we genuinely care. And, and, and it, it can sometimes feel like we care more. And that probably isn't the case, but our perspective is different. Um, and some people do just like only see a deadline and say we have to get this across and, and and understanding that sometimes can help dealing with those parts being rejected um, a, li a little bit easier than than if we were just on the point of this is a bad thing this shouldn't be shipped and they're saying well it has to be shipped because we have to meet deadlines and get bug fixes out and so it, it raises a broader question of sort of how well do we as a team understand our goals for going to market and and sort of what financial and time constraints are we operating under and i think if if there was better communication of those things rejection could be easier there's still going to be times when rejection comes and it's wrong and that's that's going to happen um but yeah it's if, if things were better communicated and we understood them better I think a lot of that could be sort of dampened. Yeah, I, th I think you're right. I, th I think, um, yeah, uh, there's definitely communication aspect here that would improve things. Um, rejection can be, like you say, Chris, at any level, there's, there's, there's the bug rejection. There's the, there's the design decision. It's even a case of testing being pushed, you know, out of the equation. It's not important. It, testing feels like that, that lesser, lesser discipline because it's not given the same respect and and, and um, place in the company as development and, and other teams. So it's it depends on the environment, but absolutely rejection is something that I've certainly felt at different points um, and had to fight to prove why it's, why things shouldn't be rejected. Um, it's definitely a, a hard one to, to, to challenge. So what what do any of you think is a way to sort of push that through to, to 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 reduce that that rejection is it just down to communication or is there other things we can do to prove our prove our value prove the value of this situation i think one way is um uh when i've talked when i've encountered um pushback uh in the past uh there's two things that uh, that go through my mind one is that um there may be a process that needs to be changed and talked about. So that's that's one thing, because if um, you as the tester and maybe the the, the, uh, the subject matter expert aren't being 
um, listened to and therefore defects or, or feature ideas or things like that are being given a forum, then I think there may be a process change that needs to, needs to happen. And so uncovering that in retrospectives or one-to-ones with your manager or something like that may work. Um, and then, yeah, as I said, the, the second second way, second thought that goes through through my mind is quite often maybe maybe they don't have the context that I have, and therefore, if I feel really passionately about that feature or that defect, I will go and explain it in uh, in, in a different way or ask questions so that um, we get a common understanding, and then. If it's still not going to be uh, worked on or fixed or whatever, then that's okay. You know, at least at least we've we've had our say. I think one thing I found to be quite useful is to attach like a monetary value to, it, especially if it's a defect. You know, how how much time are various teams wasting on this, um, so that you you've got something to go back and say, look, we could be saving this amount of cash if we fix this and we solve this issue. Um, that seems to have worked quite well for me in the past um, because businesses like to save money where they can. Um, if it's the longer it goes on, the more expensive it becomes, and you've got the more expensive people look at it eventually. Yeah, well, you're right, and I think I think probably if if we we will encounter conflict in, in very different, various different things, and ultimately a lot of that comes down to not understanding perspective. Um, and reasons for those things so if if something is dismissed or rejected i don't think there's any harm in trying to understand why and asking those questions and there's a way of doing that that hopefully won't anger uh, some people if you had a a sort of a a a way of you know not just going but why is this bug not a bug and and why are these things this way but a shared a shared mutual understanding is kind of a, a key attribute to agile development and, and team based development. We, we're we're about collaboration, so that we we've got different goals, probably personally and different perspectives. And so seeking that understanding, it, it's not just it's not just communicating. It, it's taking the time to learn and understand other things, corporate goals as well. Like Rachel said, yeah. I would absolutely agree. I think it's you're right. It's it's taking everything to account, trying to trying to find those ways to bridge those those understandings and and help everyone move forward with the right solutions. Awesome. Okay. Well, let's go on to our our third third and final spin and see what the final topic is. So we'll spin the wheel again. I can I can sense your excitement, um, and it stopped on green card this time, which is techniques, and it's pair testing, doing testing together with another person, sometimes another testing tester, sometimes another role. What are your experiences with pair testing? Um, I've had really great and also massive car crash pair testing uh, sessions. Uh, Sometimes it can be a case of just two worlds colliding that just can't get on. Um, and maybe there's just disagreements or somebody doesn't really understand what you're trying to do or you're not articulating yourself 
these these those things can happen and and they can they can leave you feeling kind of burnt so i don't really want to spend a lot of time on that because that's that's horrible but we can go away and we can we can learn and try again but the good ones typically the best things i've got out of a good pairing session have been i have understood how that other tester's mind works what things have drawn their attention that haven't mine they've helped show me that even if i'm familiar with an application and i know what i'm doing testing that thing i'm not going to cover all of those things myself it is impossible that just i can look at that and, and say yes this is absolutely fine it's wonderful i've tested everything because other people have got these different insights they're drawn to different things they will use it differently they will maybe use keyboard shortcuts when i would use a mouse they would maybe be right-handed or left-handed they they maybe would use different languages different resolutions they just naturally their their environments the, the things that they interact with will be different and that it teaches a bit of humility to to you even if you you're super familiar and you think you know all those things it, it teaches humility and it gives you the insight that there's so much more you can learn um if you're the one that's the expert and if it's not i can't think of a better way to learn a new application than pairing with somebody who has some of that experience and having that relationship where you're building um some communication between them because you can ask them questions and go oh what what was that thing and and i think it's it's super valuable um, and and a lot of fun when it isn't the car crash. Yeah, I love that. Um, I think there's a really interesting um, thing you brought up there, and I think anybody who is currently considering how to onboard people, either online or in a hybrid way, um, pairing is one of the key aspects, I think, that uh, needs to be considered. And... Um, it's all very well giving someone a list of things to go through. I'll open this application, explore here, go and learn that. However, if you sit down with the person who know, who knows this particular part of the app or, or something like that, say another tester, and that tester's instructions are to instruct you only, effectively sit on their hands and instruct you only, two things happen there. One, that tester, um, the new tester, will gain knowledge about the application a lot faster because people learn by doing they don't learn as well by watching and the other one is the person who's watching will learn by watching because they are i know that's a contradiction but they are watching something they just do every day from a different perspective so it gives them the sort of the, the that 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 not that look or they get to look at somebody who's got a first look of the app and that doesn't happen often so you've got to use that for all it's worth and so giving watch pairing with someone is a really good way to um to to sort of accelerate knowledge and gain new knowledge of an app it's funny you should say that um i've actually started doing that with my team uh we've recently onboarded quite a few um members and they've both been a mixture of uk based and offshore um, and our our product is quite complex. It took me a good like six months or so to really get to grips with it. Um, so we've had to get people up to speed quickly. And doing that pair testing has proven to be really valuable. Um, I I can't learn by just going through a list or a confluence document that someone's given to me. I have to do it and be shown how to do it. And um, that's how how I learn. So yeah. 
yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it's it's definitely that element of um, doing rather than reading is definitely a, a, a better way of learning learning new things. And I agree with with new team members I'm bringing in at the moment. I'm I'm making sure they're sitting down with with someone else and testing stuff together, learning stuff together. Um, even if that's that's not necessarily another tester, it could be a developer, an architect, whoever you know sitting down with somebody else that they can learn from and and do the testing together um can really help everyone's understanding of what's going on on the project or on, on the piece of functionality that's being developed so yeah absolutely i would agree um certainly something i would encourage anyone that hasn't done it to try um it may not work for everyone but it's definitely something worth worth giving a go and then I guess the, the, the extension of that would be um, groups larger than a pair uh, getting onto a mob test or anything like that. Is that anything anyone's experienced? Well, funny you should say that. I was literally thinking that. I was like, and you can go further than that and have, um, have mobbing as, a, as, as an idea. Um, yeah, I've done, done a little bit of it, and that's great fun, um, having a few people. So for those of you who don't know uh, mob testing and, and you're listening to this, it is a case of getting a group of people together, um, or possibly from different areas of, of the business. And somebody drives while other people um, ask the person where to, uh, to go here or stop there. And, and they discuss if they're seeing any, what, what they're seeing as a defect or not. So it is um, really sort of a collaborative way of, of testing and, you can really get some great understanding of the application there, particularly if you have a cross section from the business, you know, you have one of the stakeholders or, and a tester and a developer and things and the developer will know what's happening underneath the code and may go, Oh, that, that shouldn't have gone that way. Um, okay. So there's a defect there or the, uh, the product person will look at it and go, hang on, that's not what I ordered. You know, that, uh, I've obviously written the, the, uh, you know, ask people to do something wrong or, you know, Again, it goes back to also getting a deeper understanding of the applications. So, yeah, I've had some uh, had some really good experiences with mob testing, and it's it's something I'll be doing with um, uh, people in my new job for sure. I'd second that. It's it's fantastic. It's a lot of fun. It's a good way of getting to know other people in your teams. If you've come, if if you've got if you've got a bunch of people who who I don't always work with each other doing it, I think it, it can provide a great deal of value as well. Um, we used to do open mob sessions for any major release in, in my company. And we'd, we'd have a few people that, that were sort of stuck in the room and others would just come and go at different times and have a, have a play. It made testing transparent. It made some of the, the work that we were doing really visible to everybody, but it also provided a lot of value in some of the usability stuff, the user friendliness that we talked about earlier, as well as it found, we found bugs and, um, it, it sort of helped because it makes you sort of remember that you're a part of something bigger than just your little team sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. Awesome. Well, they're, they're the cars we were going to cover today. So, um, well, the number of cars we were going to cover today. Did, did any of you um, have anything coming up that you wanted to mention briefly? Well, uh, there's the um, panel that some of us are going to be on. Uh, fairly soon, in, end of June. That might be worth uh, worth mentioning as part of uh, um, Eurostar. Is it 
called testing voices i'm, I'm now having got having mentioned it i'm now drawing a blank so I'm, I'm, yeah I'm it's 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 the testing voices stuff yeah yeah um shay, shay and i shay and i and some other friends will, will be on a panel uh 29th of june um there's also test bash home if we manage to get this out before test bash home absolutely um we'll, we'll be there i'm raising money with bruce uh, for the Kovac scheme by staying up for the entire 24 hours. Um, if you want to donate, please do. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely recommend uh, uh, both attending Test Bash Home, the Testing Voices event, um, and donating if you can to help such a great cause. Um, and you're crazier than I thought you were, Chris, to stay up for the full 24 hours. But um, fair play. It's for a good cause. Rachel, anything from anything for you? Uh, no, I feel like I don't. I don't do enough um, in the community now. Uh, no, nothing from me. But I'm definitely going to be checking out um, everything that the guys have just mentioned. I'll definitely be donating as well. Uh, there's no way I could stay up for twenty. Agreed. Hours. That was my thoughts as well. <laughs> um, okay, then. Just if people want to contact you, um, what's the best way for people to get hold of you afterwards? So I'm uh, on most social media platforms with at shaymouse s-h-e-y-m-o-u-s-e uh so come and find me on twitter that's where i'm most uh most active nowadays and um yeah i'd love to love to chat to you anybody about testing about leadership ideas and um find me on uh the um ministry of testing slack and on the club for ministry of testing as well um yeah as in as many places as possible cool thanks shay Rachel? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, so you can probably find me on there. I'm also on the Ministry of Testing Slack as well. Um, but yeah, they're the main, main two places that I hang out at the moment. Excellent. And finally, Chris? Yeah, I'm quite active on social media places. My handle is hard to pronounce for anyone. It's Kristovskia. Uh, apologies for that um it's c-h-r-i-s-t-o-v-s-k-i-a and i'm that on pretty much all the social media platforms where i reside um yeah as pretty much everything that shay said talk to me first thanks <laughs> excellent well thank you all for your time i hope you've enjoyed being part of these discussions um and yeah we'll catch up again soon thanks everyone Thank you to the guests and thank you for listening. For more information on TestFear, check out riskstormingonline.com or buy the card decks from the Ministry of Testing store. Music courtesy of zapsplat.com. We'll see you for more roulette again soon.